Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, friends and foes alike. I am the West Virginia woman, Robin Holstein of RobinHolstein.com and Holstein House, where my guests get a good night's sleep at a fair rate plus breakfast. I've been keeping house since I was 17 years old, balancing the budget and paying the bills as an army wife on the salary of a PFC stationed at Fort Hood, Texas, and as a single mother of two back home in West Virginia. Things have changed a lot since then, but I haven't forgotten what it was like. This podcast looks at society and cultural issues affecting families in West Virginia and in the United States, from food preparation and storage, gardening, home repairs, current events, and more. We'll go round the table and back in 60 minutes or less. So let's hang out and talk a while. But first, this is episode five of the Holstein House podcast, premiering on the Fountain Network. If you found me on Fountain, I hope you'll boost and clip and share with all your friends and followers. If I bring you value, I hope you will give value in return. Now, on with the show. If you're a child of the 60s or before... Uh, you lived in a world that that didn't have real sunscreen. You had suntan lotion. And usually, the one I remember was copper tone. We all had copper tone. Uh, there was Hawaiian Tropic oil. Now, that was for the hardcore suntanning people now, I'm telling you. You had to have the ability to tan to use that stuff because it was just scented oil mineral oil is all it was it had a little coloring because it had just the slightest little bit of of a um, tan color or slightest little bit of brown color to, or golden color to distinguish it from straight up mineral oil or baby oil which is the same thing as mineral oil but um you know you when your family went to vacation if you went to the beach like we did dad was uh worked for the mines worked for valley camp coal mines and they had their two-week block of vacation every year. And it was pre-established. You didn't get to pick when you were going on vacation. It was set in the contract. And all the coal miners that I knew of that Dad worked with went to Virginia Beach. You, that, that was the Mecca at the time. You went to Virginia Beach. And, um, you know, you hadn't really been to the beach if your kids didn't come back looking like a lobster. And... Me, I was very white, white blonde hair as when I was young. And as I got a little older, it started getting kind of that dishwater color. And it's still a little, it's still blonde, but it's, it's kind of a dark blonde. Um, but when I would get sunburned, come back looking like a, a lobster or a red delicious apple or something. I mean, I would get just blistered somewhere. My hair and my eyebrows and my eyelashes were all white. I mean, I just looked terrible look like a zombie but you you hadn't been to the beach you know if you didn't come back sunburned and uh you know with the blonde hair like i said i was blonde haired and blue eyed and it true complexion of the scots irish and, and english ancestry i had um i did one of those uh um dna's where you you swab your jaw you send it off 
did that a few years ago. Wayne and I both did it. But um, it, it came back and showed that my ancestry was from that part of Europe, was from Scotland, Ireland, Lower England, and the Scandinavian countries. That's where, you know, about 82, 88% of my DNA was from. The rest of it was scattered down towards, I mean, everybody supposedly evolved up out of Africa, if you believe all that. But uh, so there's always a couple of percentages down in there. But the majority of my DNA, buddy, it's just, that's it. Irish, Scotch, and Scandinavian. Um, but my people came to the country, came to the United States, or to the North American continent, I should say, because at that time it wasn't the United States. They did come before the Revolutionary War. I've been able to trace it back, um, that, you know, back into the 1700s. And, um, of course, they settled you know, in the Appalachians here in the West Virginia area before the Civil War. And um, I had some ancestors that fought for the the um, the South and some that, that fought for the North. It's it's crazy. Well, and I guess a lot of people do if, you, if you've got ancestry that goes back that far. But West Virginia, there was a group of people that went to President Lincoln and said, we want to be part of the, the northern states. And we want to separate from Virginia. And you get down into southern West Virginia. And they really didn't want to do that. They, they wanted to stay with the southern part. But they were kind of outnumbered, I guess. And um, I don't mean as far as the war. I mean as far as representation in Washington. And... Um, uh, for better or worse, they they did you know they they split West Virginia from Virginia. I think there's actually a group of people who at one time argued, and I mean recently, like in the late 1900s, 1990s, they argued that West Virginia wasn't legally a state, and we had to go back to Virginia. But nah, that's that's not how that works. But anyway, my my family, my ancestors were here before the Revolutionary War. Some of them, and. Um, but there was no contrary, and honestly, this this comment has been made in my family as well, on my mother's side more so, that there was Cherokee in our family. Oh, there's Cherokee. We've, we, we've got Cherokee Indian blood in us. None of that showed up on my DNA check. So I don't, I don't know where that came up. But I, I also know that some of the Native peoples don't, they don't participate in those DNA tests, so it's hard to identify them, but you know, everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a story about having a, uh, a Cherokee princess in their family. Nope, not in mine. Not in mine. If you come on, please say hello. I'm going to type that in here. So if you're watching, please say hello. So anyways, unlike, um, I don't know, what's her name? Elizabeth Warren. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I am Native American. Might be, might be some of that in there, but I'm not. You know, high cheekbones, I can feel mine up here. <laughs> There's a layer of fat below, <laughs> but I can feel mine up here. Nah, that's, that's not it. Anyway, it turns out that it looks like I have a, 
I have basal cell, B-A-S-A-L. I think I misspelled that in my message yesterday. B-A-S-A-L, basal cell melanoma. Uh, some of you guys would have seen um, the image that I shared um, yesterday. Let me see. Do, 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 do. This one. And that's just the bandage that she put on when she uh, did the bi after she did the biopsy, my dermatologist. And I shared that and said it looks like I may have basal cell melanoma. And I'm, so I'm waiting on the test results on that. And um, I, uh, this is what it looks like now. You might be able to see it on the screen. I don't know without this, but you'll see that little spot there is uh, where she cut it off. I, and I noticed that little bump there. I didn't think anything about it. Heck, I get little oddball things all the time and never think anything of it. And then that's, she looks at me and she says, well, that's why I'm the doctor. <laughs> I like her. I really do. Anyway, um, so uh, in West Virginia, uh, about and these these numbers that I'm getting ready to rattle off to you come from the um, DHHR. <clears throat> Approximately 7.1% of West Virginian adults had skin cancer and 7.5% had some other type of cancer. I should say have or have had. About one in eight West Virginia adults are cancer survivors, and that's going to be pretty significant. I mean, I don't think you count, even if even if this is a basal cell melanoma and I go and I have it cut out. I don't see that as being a cancer survivor. I mean, I had a spot that took it off. It's not like I had to go on chemo or anything. So I, I wouldn't count that myself. Cancer prevalence was significantly higher among females than males. And of course, that's going to be all kinds of cancer, but uh, in increasingly skin cancer, because who is it that tends to lay out in the sun for hours with, uh, baby oil or Hawaiian Tropic or, or whatever type of sun lotion or sun oil to tan. It's the women. You don't see men laying out in the sun. Over one fourth of West Virginia seniors had cancer during their lifetime or 29.0%. So, you know, it's a culture thing. Um, you know, West Virginia women, I guess they still do. I see it here in my small community every now and again. Want to lay out in the sun in the summer. They want to get that nice tan. And there was a time in human history that ha having having tanned hands or brown hands or a brown face from being out in the sun was a sign that you were a peasant, that you had to work out in the elements or in the gardens or, you know, in the fields with the animals. You had to work. So your hands and your face were exposed to the sun and they got brown. Whereas the elites didn't, they stayed indoors, you know, and they didn't get sun and they took baths and buttermilk like that one particular movie is probably going to be banned one of these days said all that buttermilk I done put on you. So, you know, but now women see, and we have for generations, women see tans as a sign of health. So you've got a little tan to you. You're a little healthier than other than being pale. And I get it. I don't want to be pale either, but I I decided years ago that I wasn't going to lay out in the sun. 
but that damage was already done. Um, skin cancer runs in my family. And, uh, you know, it, it, my grandfather had it. My, my dad had it. Mom didn't have it. Now mom laid out in the sun a lot, a lot, all the time, dark. And she would get dark. You know, if there were in, if there's Indian blood in me anywhere, mom could show that just by how dark complected she would get when she was out in the sun. But she, she had good genetics and she had heart disease and she had diabetes, but she didn't have skin cancer. So my, my good luck after all this time of, of not developing skin cancer apparently has run its course. Now I'll know for sure when that test comes back, maybe I'm overreacting a little bit, but the dermatologist was, was pretty sure. Um, and, and the damage to my skin was done decades ago. You know, I didn't know better when I was five years old. What do I know about sun's burns except they hurt, you know? Um, and my parents didn't understand really how bad it was, how damaging it was. And, you know, so it's not their fault. It's just a fact of life. And, you know, I can't sue. I guess I could try to sue somebody, but who am I going to sue? Uh, copper tone? No. Uh, but the spot she noted yes yesterday um, that you, you see today that's got the little scab on it was just a little skin-colored little tiny bump. You know, just a little thing that was there. I never thought anything about it. Uh, now, my dad, when he gets skin cancers, they, they look like this does now. They're, they usually get scabbed over or he had one a few weeks ago come up on his hand, but it come up in a couple of days. So it was it was pretty obvious that something was happening there. He's had many decades of experience with his skin cancers and the dermatologist. And he knew he says, I got to go have this taken off. I think it's a cancer. She knew it was it came off. It was all good. But his get, you know, dark or scabbed or they're sudden. And but he was a mechanic and a welder for the majority of his um professional life and so you know he's exposed to uh the the chemical vapors that welding creates uh the chemicals that you use in uh, mechanic work benzene and and oil and diesel and brake cleaner and all those type of things so he's had all of that and when you weld you run the risk of, of the little pieces of metal flying and hitting your skin. And he's been burned a lot that way too. Even, even through your clothes, a good welder will know that some of those things will burn right through your clothes. And uh, so he was exposed to a lot of that stuff. And plus he was fair complected like I am. I take it after him and he couldn't be outside more than five or six minutes. He'd get burned too. And I remember a couple of times he was burned really bad. And mom had to freeze, uh, dampen uh, wash rags and put them in the freezer and lay across his back because he was just in so much pain. And so he's been getting skin cancers removed probably for 30 years. Then my, my paternal grandfather uh, had melanoma. He was a welder as well and, and pipe work and... And mechanic work and things like that, too. Uh, he retired from DuPont plant, which is not too far from where I live. And he developed, he had a melanoma somewhere around the, um, where a man's undershirt would go. So as a welder, he would wear a cotton work shirt. And underneath, he would have cotton uh, undershirt. 
And so, you know, right around where that um, collar of that undershirt would be is he had a melanoma and they removed it. Now, this was back in around 1987. I'm not 100% sure of the date on that one. But and so things were a little different, not as advanced as they are now, and they didn't get all of the cancer cells. And so that cancer cell metastasized into his lungs. And over a period of time, he's kept getting tireder and tireder and tireder and he a little weaker and a little weaker. And he kept being told, oh, you're just old. You need some vitamins. You need to get out more and, and rest. You know, you're you're an old man. You need to rest. But what it was is this cancer was was spreading in his lung. And uh, he he went in for kidney stones. And in the prep work for the for the treatment, the ultrasounding of the kidney stones, they found this cancer in his lung. And he did one or two rounds of chemotherapy. And then he told him he didn't, wasn't going to do any more. He didn't want to go out that way. Um, he wasn't going to be sick. And he wasn't going to be, you know, with a mouthful of sores. I mean, he got, it really, it hurt him bad, the chemo did. He said, I'm not going to do it. And so he didn't. But uh, if he was alive today, they pr he probably wouldn't have died from, the can from that cancer, from that lung cancer. They would have probably gotten all of the melanoma because they do it so much differently now than they did then. But he'd be 116 years old, so he'd probably have died from something else. So the options for surgery... Uh, for me, it will depend on what the doctor sees when I get there. When I get there, you know, once the test results come back and they say, yeah, that's what it is. And they schedule me with the uh, doctor that will do the surgery and he'll decide what he's going to do. Um, it could be a big, uh, big dig. You know, they can go in and take, you know, big giant pieces out. Um, it could be slice and dice where they just kind of, and that's what, uh, my dermatologist does, she has a little, this little specialty razor and she just slices pieces and, and he may be able to just slice it and, until he gets down to where there's no more cancer cells and be done with that. Or he may deep freeze it, put some liquid nitrogen or whatever it is on and just freeze it off. I don't know. I'm not so much worried about that, but other than how close it is to my eye, that kind of bothers me. Um, I'm not really particularly concerned about this particular cancer, but, um, I am faced now with the fact that I have cancer, probably. Uh, and, of course, your skin is your largest organ in your body. Bob's eating his dog food. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm faced with the fact that, you know, I've, I've got cancer. My body now has grown cancer. And uh, I have to be a lot more serious about protecting myself against further damage. And I've always wanted to wear hats. So now I have a reason. So I may be out there somewhere with a really nice lady's hat. Maybe it'll have um, satin and flowers and all this stuff. And I'm running around in sweatpants. Because <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> I don't match up anything very well at all. I used to say if it wasn't matched at the store, I couldn't match it up. Which is, which is pretty true pretty true I mentioned before this is the fifth episode of the Holstein House podcast episode five premiering on the Fountain Network 
If you found me on Fountain, I hope you'll boost, clip, and share with all your friends and followers. If I bring you value, I hope you will give me value as well. So here at home, uh, I've been looking into doing a um, Airbnb experience. Um, experience, Bob, he's wearing me out eating that dog food. Um, an Airbnb experience is, they have them online now, and it's, 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 the online version would kind of be like doing a Zoom or doing one of these. And um, me teaching or showing or touring or something and... Um, quit. That's enough. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, and, and, sh and, and doing it as part of my, um, Airbnb or hosting house bed and breakfast. So you would subscribe to it. You'd have to pay to attend it or participate in it if it's online, but I'm, and I'm see all kinds of them. Uh, you can do a search, you go to the Airbnb uh, website and just do a search on experiences. And there's all kinds of them. I just I can't imagine what kind I would do here. There's several that I like the idea of. But I don't know if I can pull it off. If I was to do one on, say, sourdough. I would need to do it with, I need to show how to get your starter. Well, that that takes a week. I can't do it every day for a week, you'd have to already have your starter. So that wouldn't work. Now, yeast bread, I could do that, but you would have to do it in person. You wouldn't have to do it in person. But if you did it in person, you, you have to have enough lighting. I don't know. I, I'd have to think that out. That... That would be more like a workshop and you'd have to have the table space and you'd have to have the people and the cameras and all that stuff. If I did it online. I still have to have the cam. I don't know. I don't know. But I was thinking too about, you know, the, um, we just had that um, um, memorial put together over Marmet for the coal mine wars. And I actually had thought about this a long time ago. I've got, it's not like you can see the exact date. Well, I guess I could show it to you. Um, I was trying to plan an experience around those. And in March of 2019, because it's got the print date there, I uh, I printed off a bunch of information on the from um, Wikipedia and... Uh, the um, state archives and stuff on the mine wars and their the locations of different events um, and like there's national historic national register of historic places that's where they um where they imprisoned uh mother jones that's that house is gone now it's just an empty spot I ran up there and looked at it but i had i had this all figured out except the timeline not the timeline but the schedule of how I would pull it off because to do the whole trip from here would be several hours because you'd need to go up Paint Creek to the churches 
to the church where Mother Jones held her rally. That's a long drive. I, I had it written down. What t- it took a while to get up there. I took Dad up there and was showing him what I was going to think about doing. So I'd have to drive up there, drive back out, go over to, to Pratt, swing by. And like I said, the house isn't there anymore. Well, you come past Holly Grove and you talk about Holly Grove and the house isn't there anymore. But then you'd come back out and go out and up um, towards Hernshaw, up towards where they where the miners were marching. I don't know if you could clear out the Blair Mountain. That'd be an awful lot. See, that's the kind of stuff I got to think through. I, I don't have it all worked out. I'd love to know. Whenever you see this, I'd love to know your thoughts on it. Um, but to do it as an Airbnb experience, it couldn't be done all at once unless you've got several hours. And then if you're doing it online, you're trying to stream it while you're driving. That's not going to work because we don't have cell service and phone service at Paint Creek in several spots. So I I don't know. I keep thinking how, what I could do. For those of you who know me, what, what do you think I would be able to do? What kind of what kind of things do you think I'm skilled enough in? For those who actually who know me well, that I'd be able to to teach on an Airbnb experience. What would you be willing to come to participate in? Because when you do these experiences, you're supposed to show a brief clip of performing the uh, experience, whether it's you know baking or piano playing or singing, or whatever you're doing, you're supposed to show a clip of doing that with people. Of course, I don't have any of those clips, because I haven't done it yet. (laughs) But um, I can maybe cut it up in sections. There's a guy that does a tour, a Harry Potter tour. So he he walks, I don't know how he does it, but he tours London to several of the spots that are uh, famous in Harry Potter like the train station where station nine and three quarters should be uh, one of the bridges that was blown up and things that you can actually walk and go to see. So I don't know how he, if he does like a zoom meeting and then loads videos, I I might pay for that to see how he does it. Just, just to know how. Okie dokie. Let's see. Microgreens. Some of you know, and some of you don't, that I've been toying with microgreens. Um, I put together at some mason jars, and I and I sprouted greens in those. Takes four or five days to get them to where you want them, and they can go on soups, and they can go on salads, and they can go on sandwiches, and they can go in smoothies and all kinds of stuff. You've got a lot of nutrition packed into that very small plant. You don't have to grow it all the way. Is the key. Now, what I've got going on downstairs right now is some microgreens um, in a container with a little bit of soil. So they're going to get bigger. And then I'm going to actually cut those. And they'll be more like a salad mix than, uh, than sprouts. So um, I don't think I have a photo of those that I could share with you. Let me see. I don't have any. No. Not. um, (laughs) I have some. Or at least one. But I don't know if it's in a format. That can be shown. On this screen. Because. 
here's one now, it's an HR. Um, because the it's so weird, my iPhone takes pictures in this format, HEIC or something like that. And this little computer that I've got now just does not like it. Well, that's not a very good picture, but I guess let's see if I can share it with you just the same. Because I thought I had a picture that was, um, let's see if you can see that. This is just them, you know, after three days. So um, it's a salad mix of seeds, uh, mung beans and salad greens and stuff. And I, I swear I thought I had another picture other than that. But um, so you let you, you put them in. This is a carryout container from Apple, Applebee's. And on each end of this carryout container, and I don't know if you can see my little pointer or not, but there's little vent holes so that the moisture doesn't um, gather up too bad in your carryout food. So I keep these, I keep everything. And um, then I turn, this is, this clear part is the lid and the dark part's the bottom. And you put um, water in the bottom, you put a paper towel and you pinch the ends down and tuck them through those vent holes in the bottom so that it wicks up the water. Then you put down a little bit of soil. That's that's just very, very little. That's just a sprinkling of soil there. And then you put the seeds on. And then you put another darker lid on top of, of all of this so that these start sprouting in the dark. And they don't, they don't, you're not going to have them grow the whole time in the dark. So then after three or four days, once they get kind of standing up a little bit, you take that dark lid off. And I have a grow light in in that area and so that they're you know grown towards that and then when they get you know i don't know about, about that tall you, you cut them off and you eat them but i'm working on that as a way to experiment with having some form of fresh greens through the winter time and let's see what else oh you know this is shame on me but i um a friend of mine had a recipe for apple cider, no, apple pie moonshine. And let me tell you, it was a good recipe. And I did make some, and it tastes really nice, but I, I don't, there are times in my life that I drank a lot. And there are times when in my life when I drank zero. I will have a glass of wine now and then. Um, I've never was much on beer or anything, so I don't I don't drink a lot of beer. But this I thought was very interesting, and unfortunately, the recipe makes a lot, a lot of it. So I have quite a bit of it, but um, it it tastes very good very good and I can't sell it but maybe if you come over and we do a <laughs> an Airbnb we want an Airbnb experience mixing up apple pie moonshine we can try that I probably shouldn't that's not very good all right now here the other thing I want to talk just a little bit about did you hear, did you read the story about the employees of Apple, the iPhone making people and the Mac and all that, 
over in China being locked in the factory due to COVID. Now, maybe you heard a piece of it. Maybe you saw a little headline and thought, no, that's not true. It is true. It is true. I don't know exactly how long they've been in there. But here, this is a story from the BBC. I'm not going to read all of it, but um, I'll share a link in the in the notes for this video. Um, it, it, it's a BBC story. It, and it's and I'm, I'm just going to read, oh, I don't know, two or three paragraphs. It says, workers have broken out of Apple's largest iPhone assembly factory in China after a COVID outbreak forced staff to lock down at the workplace. Video shared online showed about 10 people jumping a fence outside the plant owned by manufacturer Foxconn in the central city of Zhengzhou. Chinese people and businesses are continuing to grapple with President Xi Jinping's rigid zero-COVID policy. It's not clear how many cases of COVID were identified at the factory. However, in the last week, Zhengzhou, the capital of China's Henan province, reported 167 locally transmitted infections, up from 97 the week before, according to Reuters news agency. The city of about 10 million was partially locked down as a result as China continued to use strict lockdown measures to deal with COVID. Foxconn, which acts as a supplier to U.S.-based Apple, has hundreds of thousands of workers at its Zhengzhou complex and has not provided an official count of how many are infected. The Taiwan-based company claimed on Sunday that it would not stop workers from leaving. It's not going to stop you from working, but they had to jump the fence outside the plant. So I already struggle with owning an iPhone. I like my iPhones. They give me zero trouble. I like the capabilities. I like the um, the power that's in an iPhone. I, I didn't think I would. You know, I was a BlackBerry person until I was forced to upgrade to something and they had a good deal on an iPhone and I was getting ready to leave and for a conference and get on an airplane and fly and and I, once I got used to it, I really enjoyed it. But I, I have a lot of trouble with the idea of owning an iPhone because I understand how they treat the people in China. And this is before the Rona broke out. Okay. This is before they treated their people terribly. We have groups around here that scream bloody murder, you know, because you're not making $15 an hour. Well, the folks that are making your iPhones aren't even coming close you know and it's not like cost of living is so much less there it's a communist country it's not good so i struggle and this makes it even harder apple apple's a good product i get it but i i really have to rethink i'm about due for an upgrade again because it's just getting where i can't it doesn't have the memory and stuff that I need, my iPhone, my iCloud things already full. And I sync it with, um, with Microsoft cloud anyway. So I, if it goes down, I don't lose anything except maybe some phone numbers, which you know, you'd always get those back. But 
But I, but I also don't know if androids are made in any better condition. I don't hear anything about uh, androids in, in the Google phone. I don't really don't want a Google phone. It's bad enough to use their email and stuff. But um, I, you know, I just, is there a, any, is there a win to this? Can you buy a reasonably priced, decently made cell phone that doesn't involve slave labor, you know, or forced labor or locking people in a factory? <laughs> I mean, if they're not letting them out of the factories, but they're letting the phones out. What's the deal there? Are people, you know, we, we know that if you're not treated properly with the proper medications, you could die from it. Are people actually dying? Anyways, I put, I'll put the link to the uh, full story in the, what they call the show notes. Um, so let me see, this will be a little short. This, this Sunday, it's the first Sunday of the month which means it's communion Sunday at our church. Our church observes uh, communion on the first Sunday of the month, obviously. Uh, but there's nothing that says you can't celebrate Holy Communion more often than that. You can celebrate Holy Communion at your home. You can celebrate Holy Communion at a restaurant. You, It is not a requirement that you be in a physical church building with wafers and grape juice doesn't say that anywhere in the scriptures. Um, I know it's tradition. I know why it's tradition. Um, at, at the time of the Last Supper, it was a period of Passover. And during Passover, you don't eat leavened bread. Um, but I, I, I'm saying, I'm telling you that The whole point of it is to acknowledge the sacrifice of Christ for our salvation. And I have said this before, and I will continue to say it. Um, I am a follower of Christ first. I'm a member of the United Methodist Church, but I put the teachings of Christ ahead of the book of discipline. So when I discuss a religious issue, uh, it's my personal beliefs. I'm not speaking as a member or a representative of the Methodist church at all. I, I don't have that authority. And if you're a follower of Christ, and you probably already know that he instructs us to do this in remembrance of me. And he says, and as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. He didn't say only to do it once a month. He didn't say do it just once a year. Because at the time there was no real church. Um, he had sent at different times apostles out in, in pairs to spread his message. But there was no church until his death and resurrection because at the, at the point that the apostles were going out there and spreading the good news the good news is the savior has come the savior has the messiah has come he could forgive you your sins but he hadn't paid the price at that point so there was followers is what it was now it's a church once he's resurrected now it becomes a, a well, it, it took years for that even too, but it becomes a church. And uh, the New Testament, and we're, you know, we study it every Sunday, but recently we've been studying the letters of Paul. 
the letters of Paul are written to the different churches or groups of people because you don't have structured churches. These aren't houses of worship, for, so you might say, um, created for Christ at this point because it was it was still in many cases against the law to be a Christian. And there was no Christianity before the death and resurrection. It was after, that's after when the Holy Ghost fell and when, you know, the message is spreading that you're now having a church and you're, and they're meeting in homes and they're meeting in caves and they're hiding and they're meeting in fields because it was against the law in many areas to practice Christianity. So there wasn't a, a physical church building to, to go to. Um, but most of the New Testament letters written by Paul uh, were to the different congregations or churches. Sometimes the phrase church is used. And giving them instructions and pointing out what they were doing wrong, uh, having discussions uh, on the challenges of life, and just sharing with them the faith and that these are the things that you need to do. Continue doing these things. So if you are a believer, if you haven't been to church in a while, uh, if you're in the area of Diamond in Kanawha County, West Virginia, you're more than welcome to come to the Methodist Church. I'll say hello to you. Now, I may be in the, back in the choir loft. I may have to wave and shout across the room, but you're more than welcome to come to our church. If you're not in the area of Diamond, find a Christian church somewhere and go. Um, Communion Sunday, or the first Sunday of the month, is a very good time to start something new. Even today is the first of November. You could say today, okay, it's the first of November. I'm going to do something new. I'm going to read the Bible because I haven't done it forever. You know, or I'm going to read the New Testament because I haven't done it in a long time. Or, you know, I'm going to call somebody I haven't talked to in a long time. There's all kinds of, every day is a new start. But Communion Sunday is a good time to come back to the church and, and get back on the right path. The right path. So I'm going to finish up here. Um, I've got several things to take care of today. I'm going to be decanting my apple cider vinegar or my apple scrap or fruit scrap vinegar, as some of the purists might say. I've got to, oh shoot, what else was it I was going to do? Oh, I know. oh I've got to deal with my... Um, my uh, microgreens. Uh, I've got to work on the website some more today. I've been rebuilding it because some of my things are outdated. So if you go to the website, if you go to robinholstein.com and it looks funny, that's why. I should hire it out, but I won't. Anyway, so that's it. And uh, I'm going to stop here and Hopefully you guys will have a good day, good week. It, you know, it's not long before Christmas, so be thinking about what you want Santa Claus to bring you. So we'll talk to you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, that's a wrap for Episode 5 of Holstein House Podcast. Episode 5, baby. Before I go, let me share one final round of support. HJ shared 191 sats, and I really appreciate it. I'm still getting my sea legs with the fountain app. 
your continued patience while I stumble through this is greatly appreciated. We premiered on the Fountain Network. If you found me on Fountain, I hope you'll boost and clip and share with all your friends and followers. If I bring you value, I hope you'll give me value. If you've come across me on another podcast, I hope you will let me know. You can email me at robin at robinholstein.com and put I found you on this podcast in the subject line and I'll know that it's a legitimate email. So there you have it. Post your comments, do all that boosting, liking, sharing, thumbs up and stuff that helps spread the word and poke the algorithms. Follow me on most of the big social media platforms and look for my name, Robin Holstein or Holstein House. Till next time, bye-bye.